The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Human Hands on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and on this episode, I'm joined by the author of Work of Human Hands, Father Anthony Chicada, past, uh, Associate Pastor of Singer to the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Um, Father, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Father, we're at the penultimate chapter, Chapter 13, the Communion Rite, and I thought it'd be a good time to share an anecdote of a, a young whippersnapper, uh, <laughs> fire breather, when I was a conservative nose sordo, and uh, a little pamphlet had come into my hands, and it had uh, outstretched hands. It had a little communion wafer on it, and then it had, you know, one of those bars through it, you know, like not permitted, right? So, so the, <laughs> this, the, the title read Communion in the Hand, and then underneath, a sacrilege. And it was just a, uh, if you open it up, it was just a, a single-folded quarter sheet. And it went through and explained how this was abuse, and of course, the dear Holy Father didn't approve of this, and if he only knew, etc. So it's still a conservative Novus Ordo track, okay? But what did I do? I, I went um, to the Saturday. I went Saturday 3 p.m. and I found all of the bulletins in the back of the church, and I went and I took these pamphlets and I stapled one of them into each of the bulletins. I think like 200, 250 of them. This is the sort of. Uh, guerrilla ISIS tactics of, of the young conservative Novus Ordo version of myself. And uh, I just, I waited and I came back after mass to see how many had been taken. And I'd seen that a few had been taken, but what I did find was nearly um, 50 of the bulletins with a tear in them, a rip, as if someone had found it and angrily ripped out my, my tract of defiance. So, um, and I suppose that was in 19, I did that in 1998. So that was my oh. quote unquote act, act of resistance. Um, so that's, as, as you know, Father, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit after your time. I wanted to, I wanted to set my communion in the hand anecdote against, you know, what you, what you experienced when you first started to see it, probably with unbelief and as it developed. <laughs> well, I the um I I talk in the the introduction of the chapter the the about the first time I had actually seen it uh and it was uh, from the the choir loft of the minor seminary chapel I had gone in there when I was a high school student to practice the organ a little bit and the college students were having mass and one of the more liberal priests in uh, the seminary 
was conducting this uh, mass, and it, it was uh, communion time, and he invited all of the college students uh, there to come up and to receive communion in the hand. And I was properly horrified. I had heard about stuff like this, that uh, it was uh, being done in some, some places in Holland, but this is the first time that I myself had seen it. And since I'm a pre-Vatican II baby and, and came from a background where we were uh, brought up with a profound reverence for the Blessed Sacrament, this was something that uh, left me, I think the English would say, gobsmacked. It, it, it you know, was unbelievable. And uh, I thought, of course, because in those days I believe that uh, our beloved Holy Father, Paul VI, was on the way to uh, settling all of these, remedying all these abuses, I thought that, well, sooner or later, um, this abuse will have to stop. But of course, we know that eventually the universe, the what started out as an abuse became uh, permitted by indult and eventually now is universal, is a universal custom. Well, and I remember before the days of the internet, there would always be these rumors that, well, you know, JP2 never gives communion in the hands. And, and obviously, I think in the, in the times of, of digital and the internet, when someone makes a claim anymore, all you have to do is go to the internet and check images, right? So when someone says, oh, you know, Ratzinger doesn't do that, I say, oh, really? And then four or five seconds later, that argument is settled. But before the internet, you could make sort of these outlandish assertions. Well, you know, JP2 never does that. Oh, really? And you could check the internet. But uh, I think the first time I saw it as a conservative in Novosordo, I had been told, well, you know, he doesn't do it. And then I found out that he did. And that sort of burst my little balloon as well. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the rumor, of course, that I heard in the early 80s as well, that this simply was not done in St. Peter's Basilica because, uh, you know, our beloved Holy Father had uh, made this particular rule. So I think it was in about 1980 or 1981, um, I visited um, Rome, and uh, there was some sort of an international... Uh, Congress of Church Musicians, and JP2 was was doing a Novus Ordo for them. So uh, I, of course, went to And you were not invited, right, Father? Well, of course not. (laughs) And and I suppose even then I I would have been on their bad list. But uh, I uh, stationed myself in in, uh, one of the... um, uh, side parts of the, the crossing of St. Peter's, and uh, the music, by the way, was perfectly awful. It was absolutely ghastly, some atonal music, as JP2 was uh, brought in and then uh, did the tour of, of uh, sort of waving from the altar as, as the people applauded. But then uh, communion in the hand, sure enough, there were uh, priests who were giving out communion in the hand. So, uh, you know, that was, uh, but that was something you had to see in person. As you say, you couldn't go to the internet to find that. Well, and in in your text, Father, you said the word profoundly depressing, and I thought knowing you, that was kind of an understatement, uh, that you you found it profoundly depressing, because this is just such a a, a change. I grew up with communion in the hand, so I didn't ever Mm -hmm. know anything else. It was only after a while that I noticed some people went and received on the tongue. I'd heard that was an option, and then I started to see people kneeling. 
uh, and genuflecting, and it was it was all it was all very new to me. But I, I grew up, and I was taught at first communion. Of course, you receive communion in the hand. Like I, it wasn't even uh, a question. So for me, it was a matter of going back. I think for you, it was just one more example of you you being betrayed uh, and you, let's say, standing up for the the Holy Father, as you say. And it's turning out that he was not standing with you at all, and you were standing by yourself waiting for Godot. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Godot never comes. Um, the uh, When I saw something like that, uh, after, uh, you know, several years of this liturgical confusion, uh, you know, I threw up my hands, you say, well, where is it going to end you know, this is the it, it, the the wheels have come off the whole liturgical system, and this is the, just about as low as it gets. But then, of course, as I discovered in the seminary college, that communion in the hand was not as low as it gets. It still got even lower. So, uh, but that's the that was the the discovery of having lived through the changes. Well, and, and listeners, the reason we started today with communion in the hand is because chapter 13 is entitled The Communion Rite and Piety in Action. And obviously that's where we're, we're going to. But I suppose Father and I can backtrack now and, and talk about the first part of this, which is uh, the Paternoster recited out loud with the people. We saw this in, uh, innovation in Holy Week. And if you've listened to various other episodes where Father and I have talked about this innovation, uh, you you can... You can listen to that. We'll, we're going to assume that you, you know about that. So we've we've now moved to everyone saying the Our Father together with the priest. Uh, and Father, again, in brief, the reason for this innovation. Well, the reason for the innovation is that it is the general principle behind the Vatican II changes that you do not have real participation uh, unless everyone is barking out something uh, at the top of their lungs. So you, since everyone knows the Our Father, you have them bark out the Our Father. But when uh, you look at the history of the use of this particular prayer in the Roman liturgy, you discover that uh, historically it was always recited by the priest. That the priest did not uh, that the people did not recite the Our Father uh, out loud. Uh, rather, it was seen as the function of the priest who stood at the altar representing Christ. And you find this uh, alluded to even in Saint Augustine. So uh, those who would say that well reciting the Our Father together is a uh, return to Christian antiquity that's sim- simply false as far as the Roman Rite goes. The Roman Rite did not do that. The The other thing, the other little detail that is uh, connected with the Our Father is the um, introduction. Now, the, the in the traditional Mass, the introduction is, let us pray, taught by our Savior's command and formed by the Word of God, we dare to say. so, and, and that's something recited by the priest, and it's a fixed formula. This, in the Novus Ordo, ended up as one of those many little introductory formulas where the celebrant of the Mass could improvise something, or uh, someone could write a, a text to make it more meaningful uh, to uh, invite the people to say the Our Father. And conservatives don't 
realize this or perhaps don't like to think about it very much, that in fact there are so many of these instances throughout the new mass where the law prescribes that yes, it is it is uh, uh, permissible for Father Chuck to uh, use some of his 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 own uh, expressions to personalize this a little bit. Well, I mean, and speaking of Father Chuck, Father Chuck also inserts that we're supposed to join hands, which I don't think is in the rubrics as well. And um, as part of the unfriendly ad- adaptions, I forced my family down after having been brainwashed by the Norbertines into being a hardcore conservative Novus Ordo. I managed to get my I managed to get my sister to leave altar serving. I managed to get us to stop receiving communion in the hand, receiving on the tongue, genuflect. But the last innovation, the one that made us seem the most unfriendly family in the entire church was refusing to hold people's hands at the Our Father, because that's what you do. That means that you're a friendly person, Father. And we were just the unfriendliest family. And for the longest time, despite the fact that my family bought into all of the, shall we say, reversions that I had pushed on us, Mm -hmm. this was the one that they held out for on the longest time. Maybe they held their hands a little lower. You know, and, mm-hmm. and they didn't they didn't force me. You know, I was I had my arms crossed from early on. But finally, you know, we were sort of this uh, line of unfriendliness within the within the Novus Ordo church. So um, I don't know. I don't know when handholding came into into your experience. Father. Well, uh, actually, uh, that is the something that was a little bit later. Um, my uh, experience with the Novus Ordo um Ended at about 1975. In other words, the, 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 that when I finally left the Cistercian Order, which was the last uh, stop on the train, uh, that uh, this uh, uh, phenomenon of handholding had not uh, developed generally. But it um, uh, now I understand in suburban America, it's 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 everywhere. It's either this or this funny little Muslim gesture that people have now of holding up their hands. Uh, so it's it it uh, it I think can go either way. You can either have the hand holding, or or you can uh, hold up your hands. Oh, I'm sorry, Father. I have to educate you a bit on this point. The, the, okay. the holding the holding up is saved for the the Protestant finish. So when you say for the kingdom, the power, and the glory, that's when you raise up your hands. Oh, I missed that so in the Latin rubric somehow. <laughs> I, I, right. So you're, you're all holding hands throughout, okay? And then the priest says the, the, the butchered, horrible version of the Libra nos, and then, and then everyone raises their hands and says for the kingdom, the power, and the glory. So I suppose we can address both of those issues now, Father, now that you know the correct rubric for when I, you raise I your hands. I am... Unfortunately, behind the times on that one, I have to say, you know, it, it wasn't in the Ritus Servandus that I saw. So I was going to say maybe maybe after your time, Father. But, um, so the Libra Nos in its original Latin, as it is in the traditional Mass, is one that I consider to be one of my one of the most beautiful prayers, and certainly my personal favorite. Um, they couldn't leave that in place; they had to mess with that, and then we had to add in the for the kingdom, the power, and the glory. So can you tell us, walk us through what happened with the Libra Nos, and then why don't Catholics say for the kingdom, the power, and the glory, historically, and, and what does it mean with in its introduction to the Novus Ordo? Okay, well, first of all, as, as far as the prayer Libra Nos, it comes after the Our Father. Um, the uh, innovators cut out part of the text, Um the first section they cut out was from every from the past, present, and future. 
So that's a, another negative thought. Uh, so that went. And then there's the phrase that refers to the intercession of blessed glorious Mary of a virgin, together with your blessed apostles Peter and Paul and Andrew and all the saints. So this section went out because of the general principle in the Novus Ordo of uh, omitting any references by name to particular saints. Uh, so uh, that had to go. Well, one of the commentators for the Patino said it seems unnecessary in the prayer that counts in the, the, the mediation of Christ, who makes his own the voice of the assembly. So once again, we have the, the assembly theology that we talked about several um, several shows ago, uh, hitting us in the um, hitting us in the face. So that's the Libra knows. Then uh, after that. Uh, the, the in the Novus Ordo there is added the phrase for the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours. Now the, that's that's added after the uh, Libranos. The uh, it was not um, it was not some sort of a restoration or some sort of a renovation in the Novus Ordo, but it was put in here for ecumenical reasons because. Uh, Classically, the this this phrase is uh, associated. The uh, the addition of this phrase after the Our Father is something that's associated with Protestantism. This was something when I uh, was growing up that you knew if someone said at the end of the Our Father for the Thine is the Kingdom and the Power and the Glory that they were a Protestant. It was like singing a mighty fortress is our God. So this was uh, inserted. Um, uh, at the um, after the Libra knows, but the common practice in uh, many Novus Ordo churches, in, in my experience, was to put that in at the end of the Our Father itself. Uh, for, uh, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours. And the idea is that we're we're going to strike an ecumenical note by uh, by doing this. So that's another. Uh, instance where we have a change introduced to the Novus Ordo that um, it was introduced on the basis to, to further ecumenism. Well, and again, uh, part of my radicalization after, so after we see this, this innovation, what I saw at, with the Norbertines is the correct rubrics for the sign of peace. So the priest gives it, to, well, within a, within a, conventual setting. So I would watch the priest give the piece to the deacon, whoever was acting as their subdeacon. So the Norbertines pretended there was still a subdeacon. Then they gave a sign of peace to him, and then he would give it to Father Prior, Father Subprior, whoever was uh, of highest rank sitting in the choir, or Father Abbot, and then it would go down the line as it is supposed to. Uh, so that's how that's the sign of peace that, that we were taught, and then we were told that we weren't supposed to do anything. <laughs> um, ah, and, and that was that was the, the so the Norbertines brainwashed us to say, well, no, the sign of peace is for us; it's not for you. And 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 this is when I first started to realize that there was a difference between those of us on this side and and those over there, instead of you know the lay people running the show. So then we again we took this back and we became even more unfriendly at the Novus Ordo, uh, because we wouldn't, we would sort of quietly smile at people. People would turn around in the pews to shake our hand. And, you know, <laughs> if you know my father, this is particularly because he has this, this really great smile and he's just sort of smiling and nodding at whoever, 
whoever is trying to shake our hand, we just have our hands folded. So this, again, makes us to be this really unfriendly, horrible, horrible people because we don't want to give a sign of peace right before receiving communion. So can you talk about this, un, you know, this, this friendliness that we're trying to stanch, Father? <laughs> well, uh, certainly in terms of uh, traditional Catholic Eucharistic devotion for uh, members of the laity, the last thing you should be doing at that point is a, a glad-handing other people. But the um, if we, we back up a little bit, in the uh, traditional rite, there is a, a, a pox that is... Uh, uh, conveyed before communion, but it's hierarchical, and it comes down, as you described it, from the celebrants to the deacon and subdeacon to the members of the choir, etc. And if um, uh, there are members of the laity who are to get the pox, they receive it with what is called a pox breed, which is this uh, little devotional item that has an image of our blessed Lord or a cross on it, which uh, they kiss. So the idea there is that it it, uh, somehow descends hierarchically. But with the theology of the Novus Ordo, since it's based on the idea of uh, the presence of Christ in the celebrating assembly, uh, rather than in the um, uh, priest who's acting in persona Christi or in the Eucharist, uh, you have instead the um, practice where the members of the assembly turn around and convey the pox to each other. And that, of course, is is, um, what you experienced and uh, why it seemed seemed so unfriendly. Well, I say, you know, you can do anything from from a handshake to a high five, you know, to a kiss. I mean, it says, uh, you 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 note the 1969 commentary says it should be a sign that really signifies one that is both religious and friendly, a friendly handshake or a brief embrace, depending on the kind of relationship that exists between the people giving peace. This would be sufficient. Someday in the future, liturgists will point out the artificiality of the law, for it never happens that persons in the middle of a dinner stop and shake hands, which I think is hilarious <laughs> because this is saying in 1960, even in 1969, they, they see this as transitional. They don't even think that, that this, let's say, format for it is going to last. They're, they're, already, um, they're already saying that it's not going to be around in the future. Well, and... and, and uh... The, the quote you actually read is from Father Patino, Martin Patino, and he was part of the subcommission of Concilium, the study group 10, which was a subdivision of it, that actually worked on the new Ordo Missae. So uh, he even himself sees it as, um, uh, as somewhat uh, artificial, and that it's, not, that it's, it's, it's uh, something which uh, is rather... Uh, is rather unusual uh, if you step back and if you analyze it. So it's very interesting maybe a comment like that from uh, from someone like him. So after we have that sign of peace, and and I, for the Father Chucks in my life would would never just confine themselves to the the Father Retros would. I, I saw some Norbertines when they were out in the parish. They would either refuse to go anywhere. They would say it and they would stay there stationary, or they would only, if some officious nun or Eucharistic minister came up to him and sort of forced his hand into his hand, but he was standing there, usually thumb and forefinger joined 
not talking to anyone during that time. So the father retros may do that. But the father Chuck, they, they're going to hit the altar boys, altar girls, Eucharistic ministers. They're going to go out into the first two rows. It's a, it's a five-minute rite in itself. So after you've done all that, then you're going to come back and you're going to raise the Frisbee, that huge disc, and you're going to start uh, the process of breaking that down because that takes two minutes to break down one of those Frisbees as well. Uh, so, so tell us, Father, within the traditional rite, what's the purpose and symbolism of the fraction and the commingling, and talk about how it's been modified in the, the new rite. Well, the um, idea is the uh, obviously the uh, breaking of the host is tied up with the uh, with the sacrifice and the, the so it's 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 tied up with that particular uh, aspect of the mass, and then it's necessary uh, to do this with a small host, where with the, the host that's used in the traditional mass, so the priest may consume it uh, properly. Now the the thing to be uh noted here is that the uh right for the distribution or the right for the the uh, reception of communion in the traditional mass is uh, uh, uh divided in such a way so that the priest first receives and uh, recites a number of prayers, and only then, if there are people who are coming to communion, does everyone else receive. So the the priest uh, conducts the fraction of the host during the Liberanos, and uh, then uh, puts the... uh, a fraction of the consecrated host into the precious blood, and he he does it at at that point during the Libranos. In the new mass, they lumped the whole rite together with the the for the reception given by the priest and the reception by the laity, and then conducted the this the the, the fraction uh, after the Anjou's day, so that they reworked uh, things in this part of the mass. Well, you have to remember the priesthood of the people, Father. You know we're we're equal now, so there's not going to be any sort of separate thing for you. Yeah, we have I, to make sure everything's uh, I, together. I, I think you've got the drift. I think <laughs> don't 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 go don't go in getting getting any ideas now, Father. <laughs> uh, so this then gets us to one of you know those moments that cues a Marty Hoggin hymn or some terribly dreadful singing that was a big part of my life, and I can hear it now. Uh, the the horrible versions of the on you stay that I hear um, something like um, who, Lamb of God who takes away sin have mercy on us and, and we would just do that and it's this sort of moment of uh, sentimentality washing out over the whole crowd because we were getting ready for uh, communion so we thought and then you have the uh, again. You say there's a separation, but there wasn't. The, 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 the prayers that the, the priest says in the old rite, which are beautiful, and he says to himself, and of course the, the lay people are free to, to say as well themselves, uh, are now said publicly uh, out loud so that we can participate as well. So the Agnus Day and the priest preparation, can you talk about that, Father? Yes, yeah, so, so the, um, uh, the Agnus Day in the... Uh, new mass is a uh, is sung during the um, 
fraction of the, the during the breaking of the host, and it can go on uh, the rubric, say, for as long as is uh, necessary for that. Then after that, what you have is two of the preparatory prayers that the uh, priest uh, f- uh, recited privately, formally. Um, actually, in the old rite, you had the pox prayer, and then you had the prayer, oh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Living God, and then may the receiving of your body and blood, our Lord Jesus Christ. You had those those three together, but uh, now you have the last two prayers, uh, and the priest may pick either one. Now, although many priests recite these prayers out loud, and most is my experience. I think that it's one of the few places in the new mass where the priest is supposed to um, uh, recite them a little bit, um, a little bit more quietly, so that they've retained one um, rubric there. Uh, they, from one of the prayers, they eliminated the phrase which refers to the priest as as uh, uh, one uh, one who which I thy unworthy uh, though unworthy presume to receive. You had the idea, I think, there of, of negative theology. That um, uh, once again uh, another instance where that had to be purged from the new mass. Well, and to be clear, Father, I just want to disabuse you of any idea that. Uh, 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 Father Chuck ever recites anything sotto voce. He wants to make sure everybody hears every last word. So when he says these prayers, uh, he's he's ignoring what you say might be part of the rubrics there, and he's saying these as usual, as loud as possible. Uh, yes, uh, that's one um, version of Father Chuck. That's Father Chuck um, option A, and uh, Father Chuck option B is that uh, he won't recite them at all. Because the it um, uh, seems that uh, you know this interrupts the flow of the celebration of the assembly. So um, one of the things I remember being a, a church organist, going from parish to parish, and and being subjected to different species of uh, Father Chucks, was that um, some, as you say, would say them loud. The other types would uh, simply ignore them. Any any prayers like the um, uh, the Blessed Be God Forever prayers uh, during the stripped-down offertory right now, preparation of the gifts, they would simply skip them uh, uh, for uh, because they felt that they really didn't, uh, these prayers really didn't speak to the celebrating assembly. So uh, you have more options, I guess. Well, I mean, speaking of options, uh, we even see options within the Society of St. Pius X. As we know, they uh, they purport to use a 1962 missile, and this is the part of the the 1962 missile which doesn't actually exist when they move to the second confidior, which was, as we know, purged from the 1962 missile. So I suppose uh, the spirit of Vatican II definitely penetrated uh, the society there as well and got them used to the idea of adding things that you prefer. So they preferred to have a, uh, a confidior for the people. And so it exists in the so-called 1962 missile that the SSPX and all the Ecclesia Day groups use, even though it is not true that that existed in, in the 1962 form. So can you talk a little bit about the traditional confidior for the people? Again, that separation between the priests and the people. And yes, when we get to the communion right here, the purging of anima meam, when we're talking about ourselves. 
Okay. So uh, the in the traditional rite, what happens is after the priest consumes the precious blood, then he um, uncovers the uh, ciborium to give um, uh, Holy Communion to the people, and the server recites the confitier. Uh, again, uh, the, the priest and the server have recited the confitier at the beginning of Mass, but it is um, prescribed to be um, recited again at this point, and then after the server recites the confitier, the priest says the uh, miseriatur and the indulgentiam, and then um, it turns uh, with a suborum to the people and says, Behold the Lamb of God, etc. O Lord, I am not worthy. So the, those, the prescription for the second confidior was uh, abolished by the uh, rites of uh, John the Twenty Third in uh, 1960 or 1961. But there are traditionalist groups who violate that rubric, actually, and who uh, go ahead and use it anyway. So it's 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 a, 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 a sort of a, 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 a another version we could say of uh, liturgical diversity that's been introduced in another sense after the Second Vatican Council. Well, you know, when you start to see it done there, then there's only a, a short road to watching it be done with whatever version. I, I suppose that's the entire arbitrary reason behind I, that's another episode entirely, Father. So I, I don't suppose we can go too far down that road, but that entire arbitrary reason of stopping at 1962 because that's what someone in the Curia said was supposed to be, as if that means anything. You know, why not stop at 65? Why not stop at 67? It, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, sure, because you're, uh, uh, you're not really observing a principle, as we've described it anyway. It's, 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 uh, you just end up kind of with what you like. So at the beginning of our episode, Father, we talked about the posture for communion. So obviously we're, we're talking about communion rails going away. In fact, those were some of the first things to go whenever the churches were redone. People don't even know what a communion rail is. Uh, then also the idea of communion under both kinds. Now, I, uh, as a point of clarity here for traditional, so there have been times when I've served private masses, and you can tell me whether this is incorrect, where I received communion by intention, the, the, the priest at the time uh, uh, presented communion to me that way. I don't know whether I was eligible to receive uh, communion that way. I know sometimes first communicants are given communion that way. So can you speak within the traditional Roman rite how, how communion under both species developed historically and where it was prior to Vatican II? So the way that I would say I would have observed it in a private mass or first communicants now would. And then what the change was, and, and who was the promoter of communion under both kinds back in the day, you know, somebody who gets his own square in Rome these days, and what does it mean within the Novus Ordo? Well, it's a full order, Stephen, <laughs> to, to explain. But in, in um, the, the reception of uh, uh, communion under both species, uh, uh, that is, say, the host and from the chalice, uh, existed for many years in the church until uh, the 11th or the 12th century. And in, in uh, some cases, um, it was uh, permitted to uh, administer communion under just one kind. All right. Uh, so uh, you had the, there, there was something for which it was a, 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 a precedent. But as the 
uh, history of the church went uh, along, Eucharistic devotion uh, developed, and it was um, realized that it's actually rather difficult with large numbers of people to uh, distribute communion under both species. Uh, even though it was done in the uh, was done in the the uh, eastern rites of um, the eastern rites of the Catholic Church, so uh, eventually uh, the church saw the the uh, the, the uh, danger of um, distributing uh, communion under both kinds because of the danger of spillage or profanation, etc. So. By the uh, 15th century, the Council of Constance declared that communion under one kind had to be uh, obligatory. And then this was confirmed by the, the Council of Trent. There are a couple of exceptions to this. The order that I belong to, the Cistercian order, uh, had uh, continued to receive the precious blood uh, this way. But eventually the, uh, practice, uh, eventually the practice died out. The uh, agitation for uh, both species uh, came uh, later from uh, the Protestants. Uh, they insisted that you have to have both species, that both were obligatory, and that the reception of just one species, as was done in the Roman Church, was an unscriptural uh, abuse, uh, etc. So what, what happened is... Um, uh, then uh, Vatican II, uh, with ecumenism in mind, uh, allowed the uh, reception then of uh, the Eucharist under both species. But the idea was not to restore some ancient custom or some ancient practice, but uh, again, it was to strike an ecumenical note that because this was something the Protestants wanted, this was something that uh, we had to do. But the it is um, uh, it would be interesting to know now how broadly this is practiced in the Novus Ordo Church, because even in my own experience, it was the uh, seen uh, was 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 seen as something which was. Uh, ungainly and somewhat uh, difficult, uh, difficult to do, and really unhygienic. So uh, I'm not sure, at least at this point, to what extent that this is, is practiced in your average church. I mean, what was your experience, Stephen? Uh, well, I mean, even among... So uh, my experience was progressive or not progressive, this was seen as something that had to be done to oh. show... That you were, and I, I experienced it probably very early when I was first in America in in Saint Rita at Dallas in Dallas, Texas. When I first mm -hmm. moved to America, I had never seen it. So in Singapore, there's known to be very conservative. Um, they, I'd never seen it. So I saw it for the first time in my life when I came to America in the late '80s, and uh, it was it was sort of a we felt very. I remember feeling very special. I thought, well, this was something that is normally reserved for the priest. And we felt more, I would say, as a child, I felt more included. That's what it made me feel like, which I mm -hmm. suppose I suppose is the same feeling. There's an extra, what's the word, consolation if I, whenever I've received by intention in the traditional mm -hmm. rite. That it's, it, I suppose that's, that's what it is. It's this, this, uh, this feeling of, 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 of being special. But that being said, I think just practically speaking, Father, it's a cost issue. 
these days. Um, you know, I you have to buy all of this extra wine in order to to pull something like that off every Sunday. Uh, and then I would see that sometimes it wasn't done at weekday masses. So again, and I am I'm not an authority. Maybe you should ask some of our listeners who've been more recently in the Novus Ordo. I mean, it's been years and years and years, decades. I would say since I've been. So I don't know, and I can't speak authoritatively, but at the time when I went, it was a pretty widespread practice, whether it was a conservative or a liberal parish, that it was something that was done. Um, and, you know, I suppose they, they just they had a little uh, corporal or purifier, and they would just wipe the, the lips of whoever it was, and then the next person, next person would do it. And there were some people who would refuse to do it, but I think all of the kids, we definitely lined up for it because... It felt special. And, and so I guess, again, I want to follow up with that, Father. What is the discipline within the traditional right for receiving under both species? Is it, is it permissible at any time? What's the guidance you're given? Oh, no, it's, 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 it's not. And um, it's not permissible. And the members of the laity receive just one species, even priests at the first, uh, when they can celebrate um, the uh, mass of their ordination with the bishop uh, do not receive the uh, uh, precious blood from uh, the chalice. So that's, it's, it's uh, uh, something which simply in the Roman rite was not done uh, since the, um, uh, since the early middle ages, actually. So any, any of us who've been, who have had that experience, including myself within traditional mass, we're experiencing yet another innovation, even within the guise of the traditional mass. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I have never heard of anyone uh, of anyone doing that in the uh, traditional mass, even at a private mass. Uh, it it's um, uh, there's there's no rubric for it, and if there's not a rubric for it, you can't do it. <laughs> That's ter- terribly negative and rigorous of you, Father. You have to you have to be open to things. You know, this is. I, this I, is you need to get loaded with, with negative theology, I'm afraid. I probably need it's late in the day, and I probably need a little more caffeine. So, <laughs> so uh, we you've, we've already alluded to the fact uh, about who was behind communion in the hand, Luther and, and other people like that. You've alluded to the fact that not only was uh, communion in the hand officially permitted over time, but it became the norm. It's, it's not the it, same thing with lay ministers. They were called extraordinary ministers, but they're the most ordinary part of the mass I could imagine. The one thing you could count on was that 10 or 12 men and women, mostly women, were going to come out uh, at, at the Agnus Dei and come around. And, and, and some of them, they would take communion at the same time the priest would. And that was, that was something that was, you know, everyone up there, they'd all have communion in the hand. They'd hold it up in front of their in front of their face, and everyone would do it, and then they would take it, sort of signifying that they were just just uh, as equal. Now, in the Ratzingerian years, this was considered to be something that was incorrect or a violation of the rubrics, but I mean, uh, now with Francis, everything is so loosey-goosey that it doesn't, um, uh, none of this uh, is really considered, I I imagine important by most people anymore that that uh, as the modernists love to say that well we have evolved beyond that. So I it, it would not surprise me if the uh, a practice of of all the ministers receiving together is, is uh, uh, pretty much universal. So we now let's say we move beyond communion and uh, anyone who's being scolded for genuflecting or kneeling or any of that, and we move to the purifications, which again was something that I was radicalized with by the Norbertines, 
not only was I taught that there were two purifications, one that occurred first with the wine, because I was taught that's the more noble element, and that should be used first before the water, uh, that, that that was even done. So my experience in the Novus Ordo Parish was you just put everything, you put all the dirty dishes over in the corner, and then someone took care of it later. Well, I came to find out at the place that, that I attended weekday mass that, that that sort of practice was done, and then you just rinse them off uh, in in the back. And I, I took it upon myself. Again, this is the, the sort of guerrilla tactics of the Novus Ordo conservatives. You then take it upon yourself to do the purifications because you think you can't leave this back here to get all rinsed out into into the sacrarium. So, uh, again, Father, I'm not trying to say that the, I should have been the person doing it at all, but this is, the again, the radical the radicalized uh, tactics. So I'd go back there and I would do all the purifications as I had been, uh, not I would say as been taught as I have observed that was the right way to do it. But talk us, talk us through the, the reason for the purification, how it exists in the traditional mass and what your experience was with purification in the Novus Ordo. Uh, Okay. The uh, traditional and the traditional purifications of the sacred vessels are uh, done this way that the, uh, if if you have have completed, let's say, uh, if you've finished a a, a ciborium and it, it's uh, empty, uh, you uncover the chalice and uh, from which all the precious blood is consumed, and then you uh, look in the ciborium if there are any um, uh, any particles, and you uh, put very reverently the, all the particles into the chalice, and then uh, the priest, still with his, his fingers together, um, uh, puts the paten under his, his chin and consumes the uh, anything else that's in the chalice and any drops of the precious blood. Then the uh, server. Uh, pours wine into the chalice, and uh, the priest um, moves the chalice around a little bit to get all all of the and dissolve all the the uh, particles of the precious blood. Then he uh, consumes that, and uh, then uh, if he has a ciborium to uh, purify, he uh, goes over to the side, uh, holds his fingers over the ciborium. And the server pours the water and the wine uh, into the ciborium over his fingers. Uh, the priest uh, takes that, goes to the center, um, dries off his, his fingers, and pours the contents of the ciborium into the chalice, and then consumes the contents of the chalice. After that, he takes the purificator and he uh, wipes out the uh, interior, any uh, drops of, of water that remain uh, on the uh, from the inside of the chalice and the inside of the ciborium. Then he remakes, as we would say, the chalice, puts everything uh, back together as it was at the beginning of Mass. So you can see that it's a fairly uh, complicated ceremony, and there are, there are prayers that accompany it. Uh, uh, two prayers that the priest uh, recites, and the whole purpose of the idea is that you um, is to to show veneration for the blessed sacrament, lest any um, particles or fragments uh, be lost, or any drops of the precious blood. So it's all all of that stuff is directed 
um, uh, to reverence toward the Blessed Sacrament, and all of it is is rooted in uh, the Catholic theology of the Real Presence. Well, and I think anyone who's just been listening to your description, Father, can understand that this is a really important part of of the liturgy as well. We can't just assume that, well, now that the, the high point which is what the high point is for the Novus Ordo, which is the reception of communion. That's the most important thing. And everybody has received communion all the time. That it doesn't matter what happens after this. That's why you can get rid of the communion antiphon, if such a thing even exists. That's why you, you don't have to worry about purification. And that's why it's, it was distressing to see uh, this trend. Did you observe any sort of lackadaisical attitude about purification when you were still with the Novus Ordo? Oh, I mean, this was a, a, uh, especially the Father Chuck types were uh, notorious about this. Uh, They they didn't pay too much attention to it, or if there was an extraordinary minister, uh, she generally was a woman, um, took the chalice away from the altar, and the priest sometimes would joke that, well, he couldn't be bothered with doing the dishes, that that's what you had women in the sanctuary for. Of course, I mean, some of the more militant women's lip types, you know, would have been annoyed by a comment like that. But the idea was that he, that uh, any attention whatsoever uh, paid to this part of the rite was really old church and was, was kind of beyond us. And I remember seeing that uh, uh, many times in, in my experience in the Novus Ordo. There still were some uh, older priests who, uh, or of the middle generation, who were uh, uh, careful, uh, who were still careful with the purifications and did them themselves. But, um, uh, you know, there were others for whom this was simply not important. Well, and purifications are no. There was a time when Father Chuck or Father Restro would go and sit wherever he was sitting. And the moment that he sat, that was the cue to everyone in the church that it was time to sit down to. So even if you were one of those strange people who knelt after receiving communion and you were engaged in some sort of weird form of Thanksgiving, whatever that is, everyone sat back at the minute that the father would sit down. So that was that was the cue. There was someone said that you know you hit a hit a switch and everyone sits back in the pew, and there would be this weird moment. You could say anywhere between twenty to sixty seconds of silence, which is singular in the Novus Ordo. It just doesn't exist, and it's so strange. I remember just reveling in it as uh, someone who was with the Norbertines, where there was a lot of silence in the masses. When I was in the parish, you would just sort of soak it up. You say, okay, well we can just finally. Uh, enjoy that, and you were you were engaged, but the 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 more impatient were just waiting for that tension to break so we could move on. They were really uncomfortable. There was some shifting, as you know, Father. Uh, um, especially at musical performances, uh, whenever there's silence, that means that's a cue to cough. Uh, and so there were people who just couldn't sit because who couldn't sit still, and and it was. I think, and I, I can't speak again. I haven't been to a sort of one of our listeners would be better equipped to answer this, but that idea of there being this this moment of silence is very strange within the Novosordo. Well, that was put in in response to uh, one of the criticisms of the new order of Mass. That, well, there's no time really in the new Mass for any private prayer. So uh, the people who put the order of Missa together said, oh, well, okay, well, let's have everyone sit down after communion. And then they can do their private prayer, and then go uh, thirty seconds later, go back to barking things out again. But the um, 
uh, in fact, it is uh, totally bogus. Something like that does not exist, never existed in the Roman liturgy, where everything comes to a halt, and you sit down, and then absolutely nothing happens, and then you stand up again. Because the, the idea is the liturgy, if you're in the pew, is something you should contemplate and, um, you know, silently contemplate and say your own devotional prayers or say if you're in the choir, sing. But there, there, there are moments of, of, of silence and, as it were, noise that uh, are alternated, whereas in, in the new Mass, it's all noise. Now, one of the other options that I remember from the parish is that to avoid this weird uh, silence, you could uh, sing a litany or something. And uh, when I was a, uh, uh organist in charge of music program at Holy Ghost Church in uh, Milwaukee on the south side, uh, I would, uh, instead of having this stupid moment of silence, I, I would have something sung. Uh, but uh, still, it's a very odd idea, the idea that you're sitting down making your Thanksgiving. Uh, that is, is hardly an attitude of, uh, even though you can pray in any position, that's hardly an attitude of adoration. Well, we know kneeling's a very negative posture. Again, uh, Father, it implies there's an inequality, uh, some sort of uh, adoration submission, and we just can't have any of that. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's self-abasement, which is contrary to your um, positive self-image and uh, against the general... Uh, spiritual principle of the, the, the Catholic ascetics that I'm okay, you're okay. So uh, <laughs> that that has to go. <laughs> you're not okay if you're kneeling. <laughs> well, speaking of I'm okay, you're okay, that moves us towards the, the blessing, uh, Father, which uh, is again mitigated and changed in the, in the Novus Ordo, as well as the Placiat, which I, I'm pretty certain is gone. Can you talk about the blessing and the Placiat? Okay, so the, the uh, traditional Mass ends, uh, uh, part of the ending of the traditional Mass is that you have a, uh, uh, that the uh, priest uh, blesses the members of the congregation. Uh, may all God, Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. So, the, uh, so that is, is the same as it is in the traditional rite, although uh, for some bizarre reason, uh, the um, creators of the Novus Ordo decided to allow you to beef that up with other um, uh, prayers, solemn blessing prayers, or what they called uh, prayer over the people that they, they joined to that blessing at the end of uh, the end of the mass. So there was that, but what had to go was the traditional prayer. Uh, the the Pachiat, which uh, reads this way, May the low, uh, lowly homage of my service be pleasing to you, O Most Holy Trinity, and grant that the sacrifice which I, though unworthy, have offered up in the sight of uh, thy majesty may be acceptable to thee, and because of thy mercy may it atone for myself and all those whom I have offered it for whom I've offered it. Well, this sets off all of the negative theology and uh, ecumenical alarms, 
because what you have in there is you have unworthiness, uh, begging God for uh, his mercy, atonement, which means the Mass is a sacrifice of propitiation, that, uh, you know, that you, you get red alerts from here to, uh, here to Augsburg uh, by using that sort of language, and then that uh, I've offered the sacrifice of propitiation and atonement. So that obviously had to go. So uh, under the guise of ecumenism and negative uh, theology. So the, um, uh, that is the prayer, the, the uh, placheat, uh, that particular section of, of the Mass, which was a prayer that was joined to the, uh, joined to the uh, last ble- blessing. Well, yes, definitely a five-alarm fire, Father. And as you say, heard in Augsburg, it could probably even be heard in, in Geneva. You know, it was that loud. So that gets us to uh, the dismissal and uh, some more omissions. And one of the omissions, I suppose, could be its own sub-show, which is the, the, what happened with the Leonine prayers. But mm-hmm. I suppose it suffice to say that the, the suppression of the, the Gospel of St. John uh, had to go. And and why did why did the Gospel of Saint John have to go? Apart from the fact that it's just going to make Mass longer, and that's the last thing that we need. <laughs> well, that of course is a big consideration. But the uh, the modernists had certain theories about the development of the Mass, and and the idea that uh, at the end of the priest recited this uh, Gospel of Saint John as an act of devotion that was against your assembly theology. So it it uh, had to go there. Uh, despite the fact that the new mass was supposed to be more scriptural. And remember that, of course, uh, St. John, especially at the beginning of his last gospel, was quite anti-Semitic, uh, that, uh, saying that our Lord came unto his own, and his own received him not. So that, uh, that was something that had to go um, uh, as well. And just generally, the idea that you had something that didn't fit into the modernist theories of how the um, Roman rite should be conducted. Since this was a, a late development in the Mass, it had to go. Another interesting thing, though, is that um, the last gospel was uh, considered to be the, the uh, considered to be an extension of the blessing at the Mass. And in, in the middle, middle Ages, the last gospel was uh, read as a uh, as part of a, a ceremony of, of uh, blessing uh, as well. So uh, this this became uh, joined to the mass, but uh, because it, it violated the modernist notions of the correct structure for the sacred liturgy, how it had to develop, therefore it had to go. Well, everything has to go, really, and I suppose that's an ongoing theme of our series. Uh, We want to remind our listeners that you're listening to Work of Human Hands on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and today I've been joined by Father Anthony Jacada, the author of Work of Human Hands, and we've been discussing Chapter 13, which is called The Communion Rite, Impiety in Action. We started with the discussion of communion in the hand, and we went through the various parts of the, the Masses both from a traditional aspect and how it's been changed in the Novus Ordo, everything from the Agnus Dei and the sign of peace, the Libra Nos, the uh, changes to the Our Father, uh, how communion is received and what posture and, and method it's received, and then the changes towards the end, the blessing, 
the dismissal, and as we just said, that the, la- the last gospel. I want to remind you that Work of Human Hands is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to mail, M-A-I-L, at truerestoration.org. Well, Father, we're, as we know, next the next episode for this uh, series is going to take us to the end. Uh, which I know some of our listeners have, have been enjoying, some hopefully more, more than some of our listeners have been enjoying this series. So we're going to be coming to the conclusion. But properly speaking, the, the, our, our book is finished. Chapter 14 is a, con- is a concluding chapter. Where we're bringing together all of the threads of the various chapters. So is there anything that we didn't talk about today, Father, that you'd like to talk about? To, to pull chapter 13 together and, and what's going on here in the communion rite? Well, uh, <clears throat> I think there are a few points, Stephen. First of all, the um, uh, idea that um, uh, the reception of communion now in uh, the Novus Ordo is supposed to be seen as uh, some sort of a common uh, uh, common activity. Uh, you have uh, everyone instead, everyone involved. What is in what is referred to as a procession going up into uh, communion, and for this this reason, since it's it's now a uh, reflecting the uh, assembled community, this assembly theology, you have uh, the idea that the people are supposed to sing songs together as they go up to receive communion, which of course is is uh, something that it, it, it is one of the uh, one of the inventions of the Novus Ordo. So you have to say that uh, that theolo- it, it reflects very much the uh, new theology of the. Uh, New Mass. Uh, secondly, uh, the communion section of the New Mass is, in fact, supposed to be seen as the high point of the uh, New Mass, the reception of, of communion, rather than, than, than the adoration of our, our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament or anything like that, because the uh, Mass has been structured in uh, the New Rite into a sort of assembly supper. So along with that is the idea that, well, to participate truly in the new Mass, that you have to receive Holy Communion, and uh, that everyone has to receive, no matter what uh, uh, sort of state you are in. So one of the things that I noticed after this idea came in after Vatican II was that uh, everyone went to Communion. And that was not my experience when I was growing up as as a kid, because uh, the idea was that the reception of the communion is something that I uh, had to be very carefully prepared for, and uh, by um, the reception of the sacrament of penance, etc. And of course, at the same time, I noticed in the Novus Ordo uh, that no one went to confession. Uh, anymore, that confession uh, became sort of the uh, forgotten sacrament of the post-Vatican II Church. So you have this, in the communion rite, you see sort of the crowning shift of uh, uh, liturgical practice and uh, Eucharistic devotion and uh, uh, theology of the post-Vatican II Church. Well, it's really interesting that you mentioned that, Father, because that's really where we're going with Francis and the annulments and and all of that, aren't we? Because receiving communion is the sumum bonum of the Novus Ordo religion, right? That that means that I'm okay, you're okay, and as long as we can all receive communion, then everything's fine. So 
that's why what's the number one priority under a Francis non-pontificate is making sure that everyone can receive communion. Because once that's done, then we're good. Yes, that's, that's exactly it. And you, you see, too, that this is, is uh, tied in with their uh, post-Vatican II idea of the definition of the uh, Church as a communion. The, the, the Ratzingerian and the, the Ratzinger developed this very much around the time of Vatican II, the idea of the Church as, as a communion, that the idea was not so much a... Um, that uh, 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 members under the uh, authority of the Roman pontiff who adhere to the same beliefs, follow the same disciplines, and so on, but the idea of this, this vaguer notion of a communion, which fits in very nicely with ecumenism. So naturally, in your liturgical practice, that has to be uh, reflected, and everyone has to be part of the communion. Well, Father, uh, thanks for going over the the parts that uh, you wanted to fill in from from what was missing what we covered today. What's what's going on at, at SGG and at SGG Resources? Well, we have started at SGG. We have started our um, liturgical season, as it were, in September again uh, with uh, different observances. And the choir season has started again. In fact, uh, I am uh, going to uh, uh, be playing the organ at a choir rehearsal in a few hours. So uh, uh, there's uh, there's that. I also have to say that work of human hands itself is uh, uh, selling very regularly, and and um, uh, there's uh, continues to be a great deal of interest in it. We get a lot of. Um, uh, a lot of orders via SGG Resources, which is where you can order it, and um, people who have just heard about the book. So that is um, part, a very big part of our apostolate. We also uh, point out to people that we do have uh, our Internet apostolate where you can view the traditional Latin Mass on the Internet at uh, SGG Resources, and we, of course, invite you to contribute to the support of our apostolate there. Indeed, there's lots of great things that you can support at SUG Resources. You've got uh, the Bishop's Fund. You've got various different uh, uh, devotional uh, purchases you can make. So I encourage people to check. If you haven't been, check out SUG Resources. Father, as always, thanks so much for your time. Look forward to uh, next month, I suppose, with a, a bit of bittersweet, uh, bittersweet thoughts. So looking forward to our final episode in this series next month when we get to our concluding chapters. Thanks so much for for joining us today. Thank you all, and God bless you. If you have any questions for Father Chicago or feedback on this episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at humanhands at truerestoration.org. We'll pass along your questions or comments to Father Chicago, and we'd also take this moment to remind you all correspondence with us is strictly confidential. We want to remind our listeners that this this is, we're getting close to the end, so you're going to want to get all your last questions in for Father, because when, when the series ends, it ends. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time that you pray. For the Restoration, I'm Stephen Heiner. May God bless you.
This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.